We've been in, in Numbers, the 19th chapter, with, and it has to do with the types. What he has himself, God, been bringing out to us is how that we can understand Christ, the fulfillment of the type, the anti-type, in John, the 13th chapter, explains fully the 19th chapter of Numbers. And they were in the wilderness. They were on their way to their promised land. They were set free. They were captives uh, under Pharaoh, who was a type of uh, Satan, and they were in the world system, Egypt. They were led out beautifully and miraculously, and the type that that, that goes into has to do uh, with the Passover in Exodus, the 12th chapter, and then the passing through the Red Sea in Exodus, the 14th chapter. So when you combine those two, what we understand is Christ dying for us. Now they're set free, they're in the wilderness, and they're on their way, like us, we're on our way to our promised land, and that's Christ, that's why in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in him, which are all unconditional, they, had, they would have to be, are yea and amen, settled, settled. And they, like the Israelites, were on their way to their promised land. So on their way, like we are, we were talking about here, how it goes into the waters of what? Separation, the waters of separation and the beauty of what that means. Purification, the waters of purification and the waters of separation. And there's so much that goes into that. And we did put that on the website. I think it was, was it yesterday that we went into these things? Yes, it was yesterday. And it was just, it's just so phenomenal. But that, that's on the website uh, so that you can, if you desire, you can get a fuller understanding of that too, uh, about how God brought that to us yesterday. But here again, I'm just going to read again Numbers, the 19th chapter and verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, and those were types. They were the types of Christ in the work that God was doing through them. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without spot. We also brought out yesterday, too, how the fact of what the fact of that was in um, Exodus, the 12th chapter, in the fifth verse, and Leviticus, the first chapter, in the fourth verse, how they were to bring a male, and that male was to be without spot or without blemish. And we know here, and that, those, that, of course, is a type of Christ. And we know here it's a red heifer, and we know a heifer is a female. But it would still, it still points to Christ. And the reason it still points to Christ, we brought this out yesterday, but we just God did, and we're just bringing this out as he's doing to us, just to bring us to a proper place here. Uh, the red heifer here, it says, without spot, and wherein is no blemish, and which never had a yoke. And that's why we teach, again, Christ never needed a yoke. Yoke speaks of restraint, speaks of discipline, and enforced obedience, enforced submission. He never needed that. He, in John 8, verse 29, and Romans 15, 3, he always did those things that please the Father. He was the fulfillment of his will in John 4, verse 34, and he finished that in John 19, and verse 30. He completely and utterly finished it. So now we see here again 
The beauty, why was it a red heifer? And the reason is, is that the red heifer speaks of absolute submission, absolute responsiveness, and a willing servant. And, and in that type, that's what he was. His will was given over. He was submitted. And as a receiver, God his Father being the initiator, and him in his flesh, him in his perfect immaculate body, human body, his human nature, he was very willing and received everything. And that's why we learn so much from him. And when we walk in his footsteps, we walk in the experience of the, of the love life that's ours in him in 1 Peter 2, verse 21. So that's why it's a red heifer there. See, and it's without spot. I don't know of any other sacrifice that was without spot other than Christ, right? And this is why it points to this so beautifully. And upon which never came a yoke. That's why we need to be yoked up to him in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. We need to be yoked up to him. He never needed a yoke, but we certainly do in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. And you see the reason, the loving action of the yoke and what it brings us to. And only in our nearness to him, as we rest our head on his, on his, breast, his bosom, the place of the most intimate fellowship and exchange of a love life in John 13, 23, that was brought out, and we'll bring this out, I, I believe, as God gives us the time and the place to do it, how that in the beginning, the very beginning, if you want to say the oldest verse in the Bible, because we're going back to eternity in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the word the word with God, and that word with is the Greek word pros. It's the bosom that it speaks of, the most intimate love life, affectionate exchange that nothing can disturb or distract. It's just complete rest. And we're going to see here, through the beauty of his word as he instructs us, how beautiful it is. So Numbers 19 verse 3 says, And you will give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. See, everything that Christ did, we'll see that, it's without the camp. Structured, organized religion where man is in control and not God. And that's what Jesus, it's even brought out in Hebrews as he's teaching these born again, the Holy Spirit is teaching these born again Jews that are going back to the law, right back into the camp of legalistic works, in Hebrews 13, 13 and 14, he's just telling them again, everything in Hebrews 13, verse 9 to 13, Christ did without the camp. Meaning, he doesn't need, he's not looking for help. He is the help. He is the finished work. Including the fruit, too. And so, uh, without the camp, and one, one will slay her before his face. That's what Christ accomplished on Calvary before the Father's face, dealing with the sin issue. Not sins, personal sins, but first sin in John 1, verse 29. And verse 4, And Eleazar the priest will take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation, which really means the assembly here again, seven times. And it's the application of the finished work of Christ on Calvary. What a beautiful thing that is. Right? And it was to do it. And each one had to do that, by the way. Each of us. In Leviticus 1, verse 4, each of us have to put our hands separately 
upon receiving him. No one else can do that for us in terms of receiving him as our Savior. Seven times. And one will burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, her flesh, her blood, her dung. He will burn. That means that Christ was the sacrifice, fully consumed by the love and justice of God because our sins were upon him. And that's what it, why it was burning. And the priest will take, we said yesterday, cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. This we see, and you will see this in the book of Leviticus, in the 13th chapter specifically, and also in the 14th, where it deals with leprosy. Those that had leprosy had to have what? Not just the sacrifice, but they had to have the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Scarlet. And it was all part and type, and we won't go into those today, but it was all type of a type of getting rid of that leprosy, which is a type of sin. And, you know, and the lepers, you know, they had their own place. They couldn't fellowship with the rest of the camp, those that were clean. They couldn't fellowship. And that's a picture of how sin, God cannot fellowship with sin. So what is it that's needed for us? And we're going to see that very beautifully this morning. And then it says this, Then the priest will wash his clothes and he will bathe his, his body in water. There it is, water the water of separation and purification, and afterward he will come into the camp, and the priest will be unclean until the even, until the evening. And he that burns her will wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water and will be unclean until the evening. And there's a, there's a time for that to happen. There's, there's time that's needed for that. And a man that is clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them Lay them up. Listen to what it says. Without the camp. Because where the structure of man is in religion and the structure is not clean. The only clean place is Christ himself. And remember in John 1.11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, all those uh, chief priests and, and high priests and all these Pharisees, scribes, um, and, and, and the Sadducees and, and the Essenes. They all rejected him in John 1.11. So he went outside the camp. That's what he did. But it says here, And a man that is clean will gather up the ashes of the water and lay them up without the camp, not in the camp, in a clean place. We have a clean place. Guess what? That clean, that clean, clean place is Christ himself. Without the camp. And it will be kept for the assembly of the children of Israel, listen to what it says, for a water of separation, it is a purification for sin. And what they would do was they would take those ashes, Christ completely reduced down, dealing with everything, completely. The, the burnt offering, and, and we'll go into these, the different offerings in the book of Leviticus in those first seven chapters, where it's the burnt offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the peace offering, and all of what these mean, they point to Christ. And they are loaded for our continual understanding and growth. And so it's a water of separation. So they would take those ashes, mix them with water, and drink them, and they would be pure. We take in the purity of the Word of God. That even goes into husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Because if you don't love yourself, you don't have what it is to love your wife. And if you, you hate yourself, you can only hate her. 
but love your wives like Christ loved the church. So because he washed her with the washing of the water of the word in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. It goes into this. This goes into God's order also, which we won't go into this morning. Now, the type that is fulfilled in this is John the 13th chapter. Here's John chapter 13 and verse 1. Now, there, now, therefore, before the feast of Passover, that the feast of Passover the Jews were celebrating, which they still do today, because they haven't received their, their, their Messiah, their, their high priest, their king, Christ. They missed him in John 1.11. They rejected him. And they go about seeking about to eke out their own righteousness, to make themselves acceptable to God, just like the legalistic works teaching continues to do to this very day, because anyone that is not functioning in Christ in their experience, first of, of their salvation, but just like us, we have the flesh in us in Romans 8, verse 9. And it's in us, but we're not of it, but we can function in it the same way. And so it was the Passover. That's Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 13. When Jesus knew that his hour was come. Isn't that awesome? His hour was come, that he should depart out of what? This world. We said yesterday, he's not of this world in John 17, verse 14, and neither is anything about us in John 17, verse 16. Nothing about us has anything to do with this world system. And, and again, in Galatians 6, verse 14, it says, God forbid that I should glory. Because if I don't glory in the glory that Christ is in me, in Colossians 1, 27, I'll go to the world and seek it. The fact of the matter is, we've already, the world has been, in Galatians 6, 14, crucified unto me. The whole world's crucified. It's, it's crucified. It's under judgment. In Acts 17, verse 31, the whole world system right now is under judgment. Is there any for us in Christ? No. There's the type of the ark in Genesis, the sixth chapter, right through to the eighth chapter in type. And there isn't any for us that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Stop loving the world and the things that are in the world. Because if any of us love the world, any of us, the love of the Father is not in our experience. That is in ours and our position. And these are the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, we'll glory in it. The lust of the eyes, we'll glory in it. And the pride of life, we'll glory in that too. And then seek the lower Christ down to our level. Like the rich young ruler was doing in Luke the 19th chapter, 18th chapter and Matthew the 19th chapter. But he departed out of this world, this world. You know why? Because we don't have anything to do with this world, but we seek one to come in Hebrews 13, 14. It's a whole different world where it's all light, all Christ's glory, no darkness whatsoever, nothing ever again to hinder, to restrict us, to divide us, never again, whole different world. Unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, notice again, they were in it, but weren't of it, like us. He loved them unto the end. What's their end? Their beginning of their face-to-face -face with him for all eternity in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart, into the into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So we know absolutely he wasn't born again because anyone that's born again can't be possessed by a demon. 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. We said yesterday, how many things are in his hands about you and I? I don't care what it is. They're all things. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, Romans 8, 28, they're all under his control because Christ is all and in all in Colossians 3, 11. So we see that beautifully, right? All things being put into his, what? His hands. And that he was come from God. Can anyone receive anything except it come from heaven in John 3, verse 27? And that what? And that he went to God. That speaks of positional truth now. Boy, we don't have the time to get into everything uh, this morning. He went to God. He rose from supper. Ah, he rose. He rose. He rose from the dead, didn't he, in Matthew 28, 1 to 6. He wasn't in the tomb. He wasn't in the place of death any longer. He rose. He rose from supper. And supper always would, would back then with the Jews, they would lay on couches and they would have fellowship. And it was a type of consuming what they were feeding on, supper, and laid aside his garments, which meant that he laid aside the outward form of his deity. We brought in yesterday how the tabernacle, different from the temple that would be in Jerusalem, the tabernacle was where they would go to worship, okay? And the high priest could, could be the only one that could go in there. But and on the outside, to look at it, it was just badger skins. But inside, it was absolutely gorgeous. And that's a picture of John 1, verse 14. Uh, the Word became, the Word was made flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. I mean, He dwelt among us, it looked just like any other man. And in Isaiah 53 and verse 2, there was no beauty in Him that we would even desire Him that would attract us, but it was the glory within. And that's what they said, we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten one, uniquely begotten one. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. And so He laid aside His garments. That is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, in conjunction with the other verses that God's given us. And he took a towel, which means that's his humanity in type, and girded himself. No wonder he's not ashamed to call us brethren in Hebrews 2.11. Nothing wrong with humanity in Christ. Thank God for that. Boy, if we ever got that one straight, huh? In every area of our lives, too all of us, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water. He poured water into a basin. This is the water of separation. This is the water of purification because he was so consumed. And everything about towards his father and his love was so consumed. That's what, why he was dealing with the sin question. And that's why in his love for us, our sins are consumed in him and dealt with forever. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Then he came to Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, you wash my feet? I mean, I've received enough teaching from you, and I am all set. You don't need to wash me. Well, hey, Job, you know, it's taken a whole process to bring you to the place where you have been living 
justifying because of your own self-righteousness in Job 32, 1 and 2, you've been, you have, because of self-righteousness, you've been justifying yourself. This is what Peter was doing right now in the face of his Savior. He's justifying himself. He was declaring himself to be guilt-free experientially. Now, we are positionally, but has guilt come into and defiled our conscience, which has been cleansed by Christ in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2. But now am I pure in my experience in Titus 1, 15, or functioning in a defiled conscience based upon a lie? This is what he was saying to Peter. And Peter was saying in response to him, and Jesus answered and said unto him, what I am to do, doing right now, you don't know. You're ignorant, but I'm going to teach you. We come... Because we're ignorant. There's things we don't know. And even the things we think we know, do we know them like we ought to in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3? We absolutely do not. None of us do. Especially those that are closest in terms of gifts. <laughs> and there's a reason they're so close. What do what I do? What I do. Notice what it says there? What I do. It's nothing to do with you, Peter. You didn't do anything. What I do, you know not now. You don't know, but you will know soon hereafter. Peter said unto him, you will never wash my feet. <laughs> He's rebuking his Savior. Now, of course, you and I would never do that, right? With our worry, with our doubt, with our anger, with our judgments of ourselves outside of Christ and our judgments of others that are in Christ even judging the unsaved through the flesh? Hmm? Peter said, you will never wash my feet, Jesus. <laughs> well, because I am righteous. I don't need you justifying me constantly. Really. Jesus, Jesus answered him, if I wash you not, can we wash our own feet? No. No. Can we control even the life that is ours in Christ apart from him? And can there be any continual control in a proper image unless we put our dirty foot in his hand and he washes it? That's what James 4.8 is teaching us. 4, 6 to 8, God resists the proud. Christian, God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to those that, have, that he's humbled. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. What's part of submission? Instantly, you fail, put your dirty foot in his hand. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Then you resist the devil who will accuse you and condemn you until your feet do get clean. Right. And then he'll flee from you. Why do Christians lack peace? We're going to see this this morning. God, he showed it to me. Why I go after so many other things. I'm going to tell you why. Because I don't have peace. Because I don't have rest. That's right. Because my feet are dirty in areas. That's why. How much of Christian activity seeking the next thrill is based upon the fact that I don't even know it, my feet are dirty, and I don't have the peace and the rest that's mine in him. Wow. Awesome. Well... If I wash you not, you have no part with me. You don't have an exchange of a love life through the light of the scriptures. You will not have it. Because God cannot fellowship with sin. 
and he will not. His eyes are too pure to even look upon it in Habakkuk 1.13. That's why he had to turn away while in his love for his son on Calvary, while he was pouring out his wrath on his son because our sins were on him. And he did not become sin. We need to be careful of translation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, even in the King James, it says, for he made him to be sin for us. No, he didn't. He made him to be the sin sacrifice for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so his wrath was poured out on him. And that's why he would cry out in fulfillment of, fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 1, and Matthew 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because everything about him was pleasing the Father, as we said in John 8, 29. Nothing interrupted it, their fellowship. And the Holy Spirit would lead him continually. We see that in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. The Holy Spirit leading him in his humanity. But then it was cut off. And the reason was, was because he became the sin sacrifice for us. All of our sins were put on him. But, James 4, 6, God resists the proud. He gives greater grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. <laughs> Submit. Is that getting my feet washed? How soon should that happen? Well, how soon do I want rest and peace and assurance and a proper image in my experience? How soon do I want that? Or am I just going to eat, sit down and eat, drink and play with dirty feet? just like the world, and still confess, profess Christ, but not confess him based upon a proper experience of an exchange of a love life that nothing can disturb or distract. I say these things. I have so much to learn. I'm just thankful I have others to learn it with too, by the way. Well, if I wash you, you have no part in me. And that's why submission... Submit yourself, therefore, to God through Christ. The devil will flee from you, okay? Then you can draw near to God. When? Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Then you cleanse your hands or, and your feet, right? Because if my feet are dirty, my hands are going to get that way too. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts and stop being double-minded. Huh? Thinking two things are right, and when, you know, I know who I am in Christ, but look at my experience. Yeah, confusion in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. Amazing confusion because there's no, listen, proper order in 1 Corinthians 14 40. No proper order. None. We're going to see that this morning, too. Right? Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He that is washed once, the just dying for the unjust, in 1 Peter 3.18, to bring us to God. We're already brought there positionally. We don't need to re, re, get, get re-saved. Unfortunately, the Pentecostalists will fuse uh, justification, freedom of guilt, and condemnation in Christ with sanctification, progressive growth and sanctification. And they'll confuse the two. They'll fuse them together, and that's why they believe they can lose their salvation. When John chapter 6, verse 37 through 40, and John 10, 28 and 29 make crystal clear, you can't lose what Christ won for you apart from you. You just received it. 
because he didn't even take away our will when we fell so that we could operate in it to receive him. And believe me, it was God's will first that reached out to our will. There's no question about it. And it was done so because Christ fulfilled it. As we said in John 4, verse 34, Jesus said unto him, he that is, he that is washed need not accept to wash his, his feet, but is clean every whit. You're completely clean in your position, but your feet get dirty because you're in the world system. Okay? But not all, and of course he was referring, he's referring to Judas at that point. So what do we see? Someone asked me uh, today, uh, yesterday, they asked me a question about cleansing. They had a question about it. Listen, this is what it's talking about, cleansing. Because if he doesn't clean our feet, if there's not continual cleansing, will there be continual communion and exchange of a proper love life through the light of a proper image? So if there's no cleansing, will there be communion, fellowship? And if there's no fellowship, will there be rest? And there won't be. There won't be. And there's an order, even in what we read in John the 13th chapter, there is an order there, an absolute order. And it is not only the moral order, and I want to bring up moral again because there was a misunderstanding even about that word, the English word moral, and I'll take it from a polyglot. Noah Webster was a polyglot. He knew scores of different languages and studied them out to where we even got the word morality or morals. And this is what it is. Listen to it. It is the quality of an action. Whose action? Well, it has to be God's action, and it has to be love through grace, right? Which renders it good, <laughs> right? It is the conformity of an act. Act of what? God's love. An act. The action of God's love and grace to his divine law, right? Or to the principle of rectitude, rest. That rest. This conformity, listen to this one. This conformity implies that the act must be performed by a free agent. Who's more free than God? Who's our freedom in Galatians 5.1? Christ. Who's at peace in Ephesians 2, verse 14? It's Christ. By a free agent, right? That's the Trinity at work in us through Christ. And from a motive of obedience to God's divine will. Well, who function in absolute obedience to fulfill God's will? One and only Christ. This brings in and brings us to the place where we have cleansing so that we can have communion and that we can have rest. That's the moral order. But it's not just the moral order here. It is the literal order. It's the literal order. Because God does what? All things what? Decently, transparently, purely, and in order. Does God have another order outside of Christ? When we don't function in the order of who Christ is in us and who we are in him, the result will be confusion. That again is 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of life. Christ is our life, Colossians 3, 4. Of life and what? And peace. Christ is our peace in Ephesians 2, verse 14. These are some incredible things. But watch, watch. First, 
the, the practical, the experiential positive cleansing. Here's the order, cleansing first. That's the literal order. Cleansing. What? In order that we might have part and part with Christ is the exchange of fellowship. Here's what I want to read. And I'm going to read this in 1 John chapter 1. Here's 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read just the, the, first, the first four verses. That which was from the beginning in eternity, right? Which we have heard, we're hearing it. Thank God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't thank you enough. We have heard, and which we have seen with our eyes. We're perceiving these things. Oh my God, they're all ours in Christ. Which we have looked upon. How often should we look upon them? How often should we look away from all that would distract in Hebrews 12, 2, unto Jesus? And our hands have handled of the word of life. And when I read that this morning, God said, you know what? Pick up your Bible. It's not a dead book. It's a living organism. This is Christ. And I went, oh God. Watch the order even there. What an order. What an order. We've heard. Oh, God, I can see. Oh, I see a proper image. I'm not my failure. I'm not my worst day. I'm not my good emotions or my bad emotions. I'm not. And my hands now can handle. I, have an, I can have an experience, an intimate experience of the word of life. And really there, it's the word of life, man. For the life was manifested. It was declared through the preaching and teaching. And we've seen and bear witness. Now we're witnesses. We're filled up with that love life through that light and show unto you that eternal life. That's what we're doing when we have fellowship, by the way. We're showing the life that Christ is in each of us and there's nothing else involved in fellowship, by the way. Which was with the Father, and that goes back again to John 1, verse 1 and 2, and was manifested unto us, was spelled out and declared to us that that which we have seen, you have to see it. You have to see it experientially. And heard, you have to hear. But not only hear it, but submit to it. And we declare unto, we declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And does He have anything to do with the flesh? Read Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. No, he had nothing to do with the flesh in John 6, 63 and Romans 7, 18. Right? Nothing to do with it. And these things write we unto you. In other words, these things God told us to write because they're living words. They're not dead. These things we write unto you that your what? Your joy may be full because the things that were written have to do with his love. And until I'm clean, until I have fellowship and rest, I won't have joy. And that's why at times our joy is up and down. But thank God our peace is settled positionally. And you see that in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, verses that activity of the flesh, which is brought out in Galatians 5, 21, right? 19 to 21 in Galatians. Watch the order. Cleansing intimate fellowship and communion and rest that follows. Now, 
What do we see here? What do we normally see? What can we see in ourselves without judging? Because there isn't any judgment. And what do we see in other Christians, honestly, without a without that scintilla of judgment? Because then we'd be away from him experientially, right? Who has judged everything about us as believers in Christ and other believers. But what do we see at the present moment? What do we see? What can we not fail to see and sense in ourselves and others? How little positive rest is really existing in them. Why do we, I'll tell you why we do some of the things we do, because we don't have rest. So we want to change the environment, change the place. Oh God, we do. How much true positive rest do we have? You know? And it doesn't mean, and you can see Christians, even without rest, positive rest, but you can see an absolute earnestness. You can. And you love them. An absolute earnestness, an absolute activity, a zeal, a knowledge, and even intelligence. And they may have all those things, but they're only in a declarative state. They're only in a perception state. And the reason is, why? Because they're destitute experientially of the positive rest, the real rest that's theirs in Christ. That's the picture brought out in John 13, 23. He was laying, John was laying his head on Jesus' breast, the bosom, the place of the most intimate fellowship. And he couldn't lay his head there, neither can you and I, and have rest until he who was the Word in the intimate bosom of the Father in their deity in John 1, 1 and 2, until he put on humanity in John 1, verse 14. So you wouldn't have 1, 1 and 2 of John and 1, 14, and you wouldn't have 13, 23 without Jesus putting on, God putting on humanity. Amazing. Amazing. But, it's very uncommon for any of us. It is extremely uncommon to find someone who's continuously resting and restful. Something upset me? Something bring in worry? Mm-hmm. We're going to see these things in a most beautiful way, in, in a very, very most beautiful way continually. What is today? It's Wednesday. Can't wait to continue this tomorrow and Friday, because boy, do I need this. Boy, do I need it. But here, here it is. Have you ever asked yourself a question? Have you ever asked yourself a question? Why is it among those that are in Christ, there's so little contrast to all that is around in the world? Is there a difference? Is the world a place of rest? Is it? Well, here's the scriptures on it as God so graciously brings them back, even right now. Is the world a place of rest? Oh. Can you rest in darkness? You even stumble? Well, in Isaiah 57, verse 19, this is and through 21, Isaiah 57, 19 through 21. Look at what it says. I create the fruit of the lips. Boy, I was the Lordship Salvationist and their fruit inspection, because they're so arrived, would understand this one. In Psalm 92, verse 14, and Hosea 14, verse 8. <laughs> I create the fruit of the lips. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's not fleshly works in performance. 
And you will see that in the fourth chapter of Romans 1 through 8. And you'll also see it in, in Romans 11, 5 and 6. I create the fruit of the lips. Listen to this one. Peace, peace to him that is afar off. What is he speaking to us? This is your position. You're not experiencing it. Why? Your feet are dirty. Why? You've been walking in the world and you don't even know the difference between you and the world in areas. God help us. God help us. And he does with humility. To him that is afar off and to him that is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked, and the wicked here are unbelievers, and can we function in the flesh? And when we do, what are we? Unbelievers, right? But the wicked are like the troubled sea, massive humanity, trouble, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, <laughs> all that fleshly stuff that's been dealt with positionally, but through a lie, get into the conscience, because it got into the thinking and the emotions, the will, it attached itself to the will and consciousness and then went into the conscience. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Listen, there is no peace, says my God, to the wicked, to the unbeliever, to the one who's in the flesh, to the one who has dirty feet in their experience. But we have it in our position. We most certainly do. They cannot. What's the difference between us and the world? I don't know. God put a difference between Egypt and Israel in Exodus 11, 7, 1 Kings 18, 21. There is a difference. Oh, there is a huge difference. There is a huge difference. Oh, how do we know that we're in God's will? <laughs> well, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Stop being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Stop it. <laughs> you know, when other believers are around you, do they see Christ or do they see something just like you that's in them? Yeah, my flesh is different than theirs. Stop being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? In other words, and can I fellowship with another believer who, lead, who lives in known disobedience? Should I fellowship with them? No. No. <laughs> Got to keep the local assembly pure so Christ can flow freely between individuals. That's why they had to give the guy the boot in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. But then they were so unbalanced and they wouldn't forgive him in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 13, 14, and 15. Once he did repent, they didn't let him back in because <laughs> they were out of fellowship. They were in works. For what fellowship... What oneness, what in common, what intimacy has righteousness with unrighteousness? And communion, fellowship, has light with darkness. What concord, look that word up, has Christ with Belial? Or what part, remember what Jesus said, Peter, you won't have part with me? What part has he that believes with an infidel, an unbeliever? Your friends are unbelievers? Should they be? Of course not. Show them Christ? Yes. Yeah. Be a witness? Yes. Love them? Yes. And if God does direct you to them, he's not directing you so you'll be their friend. He wants to bring Christ to them. Their friend, once they're born again and they have fellowship with proper teaching, and now, they can, now you have something in common. 
Okay? That's why we're way more than each other's friend. It's way more. We have intimacy. Intense intimacy with Christ. Individually. And then if I don't, you're just going to be my friend. You're just going to be my friend or my buddy or my friend. No thank you. Not interested. Give me Christ. And, and let's have an exchange. Here it is. And what agreement has the temple of God? Are we the temple of God? 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. Are we? What agreement? And can two walk together in Amos 3.3 except they be agreed? Where is all our agreement met? It's in Christ where we meet the Father in John 20 verse 17. We, we meet a, just not, of course, a loving Savior, but we have a loving Father, an intimate love life relationship through the light of the character that we are in Christ in 1 John 1 7. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? You make the world a, a friendship with the world. Oh my God, a friend with the world. Oh my God. Why? We go there because our feet are dirty. We don't have rest, and when we don't, we go seek it with dirty feet. Dirty, dirty, dirty feet. Dirty feet. James chapter 4, verse 1. From where do wars and fighting, struggles and fightings come from among you? Even of your lusts. <laughs> it's the lusts that are in us, that war in your members. You lust and have not. Lust is insatiable. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not. Why? Because you don't ask. You don't ask. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. God forbid. You, and here it says in the King James, you adulterers and adulteresses. In the original, it's your adulteresses. Because we are his bride, Revelations 19, 7 and 9, we're his bride. And when we don't have fellowship and communion with him, we go out on him. We fornicate with the world. We act as adulteresses. Adulteresses. You, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You like being around certain people? Remember Lot? Read Genesis, the 18th and 19th chapters. He was a born-again guy, but his soul was vexed because of friends. And by the way, he was in Sodom, and we know what that is. You know what a Sodomite is. has something to do with homosexuality and lesbianism. He loved certain things about those people, and they were his friends, and all they were doing was vexing his soul. <laughs> Whew. That friendship of the world is enmity with God? He hates it. He doesn't hate us. He hates us. He hates what we function in. He doesn't hate us in Christ. How's that for an experience? You don't think the enemy will use that to accuse and condemn? Whew. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I wouldn't do that. You want to make a bet? You function in the flesh. I function in the flesh. Romans 8, 4 through 8. We will. No question about it. Turn it the wrong way. Oh, got it back pretty quick. So we're going to wrap it up here in the next nine minutes. <laughs> what agreement 
Again, in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Children, little children, you, who you are is true in Christ because he's true in you. That's true image in 1 John 5, 20. That's to be your understanding, nothing else. That's 1 John 5, 20. My little children, 21. Guard yourself from idols. Stay near. Keep that yoke. Nearness to him is everything. Okay? For you are the temple of the living God. Who? The living God. Who is he? He is a life-giving God through Christ. And that's why it even says in Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives. He's ever living, making intercession for us. Knowing. And intercession means not just when we sin, but he, it's, and this is his anticipative love and his prevenient grace, by the way. Heard a guy, we put it on there, and one guy said, well, his, his reaction to that was, uh, anticipative, that's not in the Bible. Okay, I beg to differ, but love you and, and God bless you. Well, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, brings it in clearly. And 2 Corinthians 12 brings it in clearly, his anticipative love and his prevenient grace, all are part of his intercession in Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25, Hebrews 9, verse 24. He ever is ever living, knowing the way. We haven't gone there yet, but he knows that we will, and immediately he, he who is our life starts intercessing for us and giving us discernment, and giving the word for people, counsel. It's what makes it so necessary, as much as we can, as much as we can, to be taught the word of God. As much as we can. So we can have a crystal clear definition of Christ in us and us in Christ. So we're going to wrap it up here. As God has said in 6.16 of 2 Corinthians, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they will be my people. This all has to do with proper image. Wherefore, come out from among them. Careful who you hang with. Jeremiah 5.5. Proverbs 13.20. He that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. You like being around worldly people? That's because there's areas of the flesh. That's why. And then you want to tell them about Christ? And they're looking at you like, the guy's no different than me. <laughs> Please. Now you went to win them all right now, and you went to be one with them. So you can enjoy the lust of your flesh together in secret, in, in the light of his countenance in Psalm 90, verse 8. Come out from among them and be separate. Sanctification. We've already been justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. We've been separated to impositionally. How about experientially? Be separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean. Right? Look at Numbers, the 19th chapter again. The unclean. You touch something dead, death is transferred to you. Separation from God. Distance. Oh, God. The unclean, and I will receive you. Where? In fellowship, in my love, in my grace, in my life. And will be a father unto you, 
and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. We already are in our position. How about in our experience? Get five more minutes. Listen. What do we see frequently? What can we see in ourselves and others at times that we don't have? We truly don't have this rest of heart, mind, emotions, will. Our soul's not resting because our spirit is it given over. Are we worshiping Him? Are we thankful? And God is spirit in John 4, 23. He seeks worshipers and God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. That's why we're created in his image. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Spirit, soul, and body be preserved spotless, blameless in Christ. What do we find? Do we find the rest of heart, the rest of mind, the rest of emotions, and is the soul resting in the bosom, the place of closest fellowship with him? Or are we driven to activity? I see this so much. I see Christians. They can be sincere. Of course, that doesn't have a thing to do with spirituality. Okay? They're driven into activity when when they don't rest. You know why? Because they're seeking a false order to establish, to fill the void produced by the absence of rest. So now I've got to change my environment. I got to do certain things. Listen, I have no problem with vacations or anything. But if that's any means of escape, guess what? Forget it. Okay? If you're going there to be one with anything other than Christ, forget it. Don't bother. Okay? Just don't bother with it. Okay? I tell you what, I can't help but bring this up because I'm going to close with this because we have volumes in this still. We want to talk about God convicting me. I was just thinking, even with my finances, some of the things that I spend them on, and I saw this picture, of which I'm going to get off very soon, hopefully this morning, Facebook. I saw this little African boy, baby-like, in this shallow like ground, nothing there. This thing was little. And it was naked, and it was curled up in a fetal position on the ground with its head on the ground. And there was the vulture waiting. That just broke my heart. Boy, did God use that for me. Boy, did he use that for me. I say, oh God, please. And I've been praying since. I can't stop. Help that little boy. It could have been me. Help that little boy. A little blue black boy. Help him, God, please. He broke my heart. And boy, does he need to break the vessel so that the treasure flows out. This broke my heart. And I said, oh, i got to pray. What can I do, please? And right away pray. Right, right away pray. And what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And I'm going to do my best to contact uh, some people to see what I can do because I want the help for these little boys and girls that are over there helpless and hopeless, can't even eat, distended stomachs, skinny. I saw this little thing helpless curled up with his head on the ground. It's like, oh God, why does he give us so much? Why does he keep us so near him? It's not just for his glory it is, first and foremost, but not only for our blessing, but to be a blessing to others. That's what I want to be in these last days. I want it to be glorified. Who, he who is glorified, be glorified in me. 
I can't stop thinking of that room. That little thing was so small. Boy. I want to help as much as I can. I'm going to contact people today. I'm going to contact them. I saw it yesterday. can't stop. Everything I did, everything I touched, everything I put in my mouth, I'm like, oh my God. And yes, there's a time for that, and of course, there is, and, and we, we, we're going to trust him, and we're going to cast the care for that child on him, but I'm not going to do it in a dismissive, stupid way either. It's okay, God will do No. No. Not at all. I won't do that at all. No. I hope he keeps my heart broken about this, this little one. And then he told me like thousands of others there. So, Father, we thank you for your love. Your love for this little boy. Your love for us. Same exact love. And I'm just praying right now, please, that little boy. Please help him. Please, God. I don't know how many times I cried out, help me, even as a little kid. And as a big kid. And God, please help him and thousands of others and help us. Please, God, with each other. We need to take care of each other first. Then go out and take care of this little one. I want to do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of my ministry in 2 Timothy 4, 5. Do the work of an evangelist. And if I can't go, I can contribute to others. Oh, help us to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to give us our time, you, know, you, our time and our finances, Lord. Please, God, and so that we don't live in lust about them. In Jesus' name, amen.